Major funding for NJ Spotlight News is provided in part by NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years, and by the PSCG Foundation. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, an energized rally in Trenton. Environmental activists demonstrate outside the State House calling for strong clean energy bills to combat climate change. Plus, ready to run, longtime Hudson County Commissioner Bill O'Day launches his bid for Jersey City Mayor. The candidate list continuing to grow for a race still two years away. We have a great city. We just have to make all the good things also, a possible ceasefire. Israel and Hamas inch closer to a possible ceasefire in exchange for the release of hostages. Will a deal be reached? It looks like something is developing towards a deal that would include a ceasefire and the release of somewhere between 50 and 80 hostages. And maternal health becomes a centerpiece of Tammy Murphy's Senate campaign to unseat embattled U.S. Senator Bob Menendez. What it's harder to see is how some of the programs that she's championed are what they've done yet, because not all of them have come to fruition. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJ PBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Monday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. Well, lawmakers are back in Trenton today for the first time in months. They were greeted by environmentalists who were all in on getting the state closer to 100% clean energy. Protesting at the state house in a call for more clean energy policies and decrying any legislation that slows New Jersey down from getting there. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan reports. When I say climate, you say justice. Climate. Justice. Climate. Justice. They're done with squishy policy goals. Environmental advocates want a law that sets hard deadlines for well-defined renewable energy standards in New Jersey. And they made their case to lawmakers considering a bill that would require 100% clean electricity from suppliers within a dozen years. So please, as you're building the future, don't build it dirty. Make it really squeaky clean. Thank Maria Lopez Nunez lives near New Jersey's largest garbage incinerator in Newark, an environmental justice community where one in four kids suffers from asthma. She supports the bill, S-2978, which requires electricity suppliers to provide increasing amounts of clean energy, 80 percent by 2027, 85 percent by 2030, and 100 percent by 2035. The mandates would replace Governor Murphy's current executive order. An executive order is only the rule as long as that executive is the executive. All right, there are no guarantees that the next governor will be as green as the current governor. The bill also sets so, standards for how much clean energy should be generated in-state versus bought from outside. It sets a 65% in-state generation target. I understand folks think this might not be enough, but it is a massive increase from our current level, which is only 25%. For environmental justice warriors, the bill's a game changer. It will literally save lives. I'm not saying that lightly. 
The cumulative burdens of pollution disproportionately harm communities of color. There are health disparities in the United States that are rooted in race and income, and pollution from the energy infrastructure contributes to these health disparities. But advocates told the Senate Environment and Energy Committee the bill should impact more than just greenhouse gases. They asked for a clearer definition of clean energy as close to zero as possible for pollutants like particulates. And they don't want power companies to buy their way out with carbon offsets. But I do think that there's some key things that you just need to fix so that it's consistent with the intent of the law. Otherwise, we're creating massive loopholes. Business representatives Representatives also asked for more clarity and pointed to Orsted's recent cancellation of its two offshore wind projects. They're worried about moving jobs out of state and about meeting the growing need for power. We just don't think it's feasible. So what we ask this committee to do is to pause. Uh, let's take a step and plan things better. Let's make take the step to analyze costs better. And we will eventually have a decarbonized and clean energy future, but setting artificial deadlines to get there just doesn't work. The committee took in all of that information and decided not to vote today. They're going to make some amendments and they rescheduled a vote for December 18th. At the State House in Trenton, I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. The race is on in Jersey City. Longtime county legislator Bill O'Day this weekend declared his candidacy to be the city's next mayor. The lifelong resident made his pitch to an enthusiastic crowd filled with hundreds of supporters pledging to bring affordability and to hold developers accountable to the community. O'Day joins what is likely to become a crowded field of contenders just a week after former Governor Jim McGreevy announced his bid. Senior political correspondent David Cruz was there. Our city. Our city. Bill O'Day kicked it old school in announcing his candidacy for mayor at the catering hall formerly known as Casino in the Park. Back in the day, like in the 80s when O'Day was just starting, if you wanted to show out, you packed the Casino in the Park. Saturday's launch with the hundreds in attendance spilling outside had a lot of that old feel. This is um, a little bit of a old school feeling to this. A little bit? Yeah. Take it to the streets. Grassroots, that's what we've always been about. O'Day's political career began in 1981 as a city councilman's aide. He served on the council himself for eight years and as a county commissioner since 1997 often with the Democratic organization backing, but frequently as his own man. Bill O'Day is the sibling of NJ Spotlight News reporter Colleen O'Day. His name has been mentioned for mayor almost every four years since. Former Assemblyman and mayoral candidate Lou Manzo said the Back to the Future vibes here were a good sign for the O'Day campaign. I like what I see here today. What I see here today is the melting pot of Jersey City. You look across this crowd and you see people from every different neighborhood, every different part of the city. Essential, essential into a campaign, two campaigns that are getting out two years, really, before the election date. Meanwhile, nine of the 12 mayors in the county have endorsed the other guy. What does that say to you and what should that say to the residents? Well, I mean, what it says to me is that I think they should worry about their own towns, not worry about Jersey City. And what it says to the residents is, we will decide our own destiny. We're not going to let folks from the outside come in and decide our destiny. 
That's why you got so many people here. Former Governor Jim McGreevy announced his run for mayor earlier this month in a small restaurant with not nearly as many supporters, but noticeably more press. I'm proud of the fact that mayors have endorsed me because I've been a mayor. And no disrespect to the, to the commissioner, but Bill's been a councilman. He's been a commissioner. He's been in the legislative branch of government. Being a mayor is very different. At the end of the day, you get things done or you don't. With election day still almost two years away, McGreevy and O'Day figured a new battle in the inner city, where economic development has been slow to catch on. Pam Johnson heads the anti-violence coalition of Hudson County. She supports O'Day. But she says any candidate hoping to be successful here better do more than talk. So you cannot speak to an audience of people who, you know, other than your name, never seen your face and cannot, you know, cannot connect you to a body of work in a, in a particular area, right? That's important. Uh, consistency, you know, it, you know, establishing trust within neighborhoods there is very important. Um, and so the messenger has to stand behind his message. Other candidates are likely to jump into this race. Downtown Councilman James Solomon among them. And Jersey City has a rich history of stalking horse candidates. So the field could eventually be quite crowded, just like the good old days. In Jersey City, I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. Unrest over the Israel-Hamas conflict is mounting here at home. Today, pro-Palestine supporters made their way to the State House in Trenton, carrying signs, some showing the faces of civilian Palestinian children who've been killed in the war since it began more than a month ago, and lobbying state lawmakers for more local support to New Jersey's Muslim community. This weekend, the Palestinian American Community Center held a press conference highlighting the plight of health care workers in Gaza who are operating under deadly conditions. As reports show, another deadly Israeli airstrike hit a northern Gaza hospital where many were sheltering. The Hamas-run health ministry inside Gaza says more than 13,000 Palestinians have been killed. Just under half are children. It's all the response to a surprise attack by Hamas on October 7th, in which 1,300 Israelis were killed. Today, it appears Israel and Hamas are inching closer to a deal that will release some of the 240 hostages captured by the militant group that day, as Israeli families wait in agony to know whether their loved ones are alive. Hagai Matar is a board member of the Union of Journalists in Israel and the executive director of 972 magazine based in Tel Aviv. He's been writing about and covering the war, and he joins me now. Hagai Matar, welcome back to the show, and I really appreciate you taking some time to talk. Let me ask you first about this deal we're all learning about potentially for a temporary ceasefire uh, in order to allow at least some of the hostages in Gaza to be released. What can you tell me about what your outlet is reporting and what we know? So, so far, we don't know much that is verified. There's a lot of rumor going on uh, intensively over the past few days. It looks like something is developing towards a deal that would include a ceasefire and the release of somewhere between 50 and 80 hostages, probably um, some women and their children and all of the children uh, that are held there uh, is quite likely, with or without the release of some Palestinian prisoners who are women and children. Um, but still... The, the 
noise around this deal is very intense. We have accusations coming from both sides that the other side is uninterested. And until we actually see people coming out, uh, it's very hard to, to be very sure of anything. We keep hearing from the entire, uh, both military and political leadership in Israel, that this uh, military campaign, as far as they're concerned, is going to go on for at least months ahead. Uh, and and I'm not certain that's indeed the case, but that's where they, they're aiming. And I think even if we will see three or five days of ceasefire, there will be more fighting after that. Yeah. Since we last spoke, which was just a couple of days after the Hamas attack, October 7th, um, at least in the West, there has been a rise of resistance against the U.S. policies backing Israel in the war um, in an effort to elevate Palestinian lives. And I'm curious if any of that resistance is also on the ground in Israel or if those folks are more isolated in those beliefs. I think in Israel, um, we have you know, two populations in the citizenry. You have Palestinian citizens, the vast majority of whom are opposed to the war, but are also being very brutally oppressed by the Israeli police. Um, people are being arrested, not only for going on a small silent vigil, but even for publishing, you know, I cry for the people of Gaza or, um, you know, stop the war now, defend all civilians. Things like that can get people arrested and spend quite a considerable number of days in jail. The number of Jewish Israelis who are actively opposed to the war, and we saw the first actual demonstration of a few hundred people uh, just this last Saturday, is very, very small. I'm wondering about you as a journalist, um, how difficult it's been to report on the conflict, both personally, but also to get the information you need to verify it, um, and perhaps even backlash. I think it's really important for me to say, as someone who leads a, a media outlet that is shared by both Israelis and Palestinians, we have people reporting in Gaza. The most difficult thing is our concern for the people there. Uh, we have had one previous uh, contributor that wrote one piece for us in the past that was killed together with his entire family. Um, our current contributors, we're calling every morning just to see that they're alive. Uh, some of them we've lost touch with for a few days now, um, and we're trying to get a hold of them. They might have just run out of battery because there's no electricity but we don't know what happened to them. So everything else in terms of our journalism, fact-checking, reporting, personal fears is really marginal compared to the concern to Gaza journalists, uh, dozens of whom have been killed, some of them with their entire families so far. Haggai Matar is an Israeli journalist based in Tel Aviv. Haggai, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. A bombshell conclusion today to an investigation into Clark Township officials. The state attorney general's office is criminally charging longtime Mayor Sal Bonacorso with official misconduct, forgery, and falsifying records, alleging the 63-year-old mayor used his public office to benefit his private landscaping company, accusing him of submitting false and fraudulent paperwork to nearly two dozen towns to help his company improperly remove hundreds of underground 
underground storage tanks. Now, Clark officials have been under investigation since 2020. That's when a whistleblower within the police department captured secret recordings of the mayor and top police brass using racial slurs and disparaging remarks about black people and women in the police force, then allegedly paid nearly half a million dollars in hush money to cover it up. Attorney General Matt Plotkin today said the state found no criminal misconduct in the racism probe. These charges are separate, but the police department remains under the control of Union County and prosecutors today called for Clark's police chief and others to be fired. The state's Democratic congressional members are lining up to endorse Tammy Murphy in her bid for the U.S. Senate. Representatives Mikey Sherrill, Frank Pallone, Donald Norcross, Bill Pascrell, Donald Payne, and Josh Gottheimer are all backing the First Lady as she looks to take the seat currently held by embattled senior Senator Bob Menendez. It's also a snub, though, to their Democratic House colleague Andy Kim, who was first to jump in the race. And as Murphy's campaign gets underway, it's clear a cornerstone will be her efforts on maternal health. Today, the First Lady unveiled a new push to give pregnant people access to doulas. Senior correspondent Joanna Gagas reports. I am proud to say that with the help of our partners in the legislature, we have introduced legislation that guarantees patients have the legal right to have a doula with them in hospitals and birthing centers before, during, and after labor. At a maternal health roundtable this morning, First Lady Tammy Murphy introduced new legislation that will expand doula access in hospitals around the state, a key element in her Nurture NJ initiative that's worked to increase the use of doulas, especially for women of color where maternal death rates are staggering. I think this bill will help a lot because I've come across different policies at different hospitals. I've actually been told that you don't need to be here after a C-section when that's when I'm a lot more, you know, effective as well. So uh, some uniformity, some clarity going forward will, will help a lot. The bill would also require hospitals to create a doula liaison for patients and to clearly post their doula access rules within their hospitals. It has the support of several healthcare organizations around the state who applaud the Murphy administration's expansion of doulas, along with the expanded Medicaid coverage for them. I have seen how labor support um, can affect the pregnant person, um, affect their confidence. We've been working on training doulas in the community programs for, since 2018. We've trained over 260 doulas who have assisted in over 600 births, and we're very proud of that fact. This bill allows us now to take that next step in working with our hospital partners and connecting them with different groups in the community that are working with doulas to develop templates to ensure that doulas have access to all women in labor, easy access. For the maternal health champions in the room, the message is familiar, even if the numbers are still startling. Black women in New Jersey are nearly seven times more likely than white women to die from maternity-related complications while Latino mothers are three and a half times more likely to die. Meanwhile, black babies are more than three times more likely than white babies to die before their first birthday. But with Tammy Murphy's announcement last week that she's running for the U.S. Senate seat that U.S. Senator Bob Menendez currently holds, her message rang just a bit different today. In New Jersey, I have spent uh, almost six years listening to, to mothers who have lost their babies or very nearly their own lives. At the beginning of my husband's administration, we were 47th 
in the nation for maternal mortality rates. And I'm really proud to tell you that as of their, their last publication, we are now at 27th. So. Is it appropriate to be holding a state event like this when you are running for the U.S. Senate? Oh, this is this is something that I have been working on for six years, and uh, I would say today is a big deal. This is a big step. Uh, moms and babies have been dying in New Jersey, and we are brick by brick slowly moving the needle. As for events like this, the First Lady says regardless of her status as a candidate, you can expect to see her out here doing many more. In Newark, I'm Joanna Gagas, and Jay Spotlight News. Tammy Murphy's use of the administration and office of the First Lady is under the microscope now that she's a political candidate, especially as her signature issue, Nurture NJ, becomes a main pillar of her Senate campaign. Healthcare writer Lilo Stainton looked into where Murphy's made progress and where others say her work has lacked. Lilo joins me now. Lilo, good to see you. You know, it makes sense, given the First Lady's work, that this would be a key platform issue for her going into the campaign, but you dug into it a bit, and I'm curious what you found, um, folks who criticized her work and folks who praised it. Right, so I think it's important to acknowledge right off the bat that um, the First Lady gets enormous marks sort of all around for bringing maternal health um, and, and particularly the racial disparities in outcomes, the fact that black moms have such poor outcomes compared to whites, bringing that to the table, right? So bringing that coalition building is important. Um, what it's harder to see is how some of the programs that she's championed are what they've done yet, because not all of them have come to fruition. Um, there are, you know, many things that have been done. Uh, insurance has been extended. Doulas have been trained, you know, but there's a lot of work that's been going on outside of sort of the Murphy, you know, that she didn't have direct hands on. That's also improving hospital outcomes, reducing C-sections. So there are a lot of different players in this space. Um, I think it's a little too soon to say exactly how much it's going to impact things. Clearly, we're heading in the right direction. Well, and we've seen, you know, you could pick any topic where there's grassroots efforts on it and then a celebrity or someone of notoriety comes in, uh, champions the effort, and suddenly it's a thing. Um, yep. And so, of course, credit goes where it goes. But are there grassroots efforts that perhaps um, she's looked over as first lady or she's accused of looking over? Well, one of the things that struck me is this is this AMs, this project by the um, AME Mount Zion Church in Trenton, based in Trenton um, or rooted in Trenton. And, you know, this is a group that they had a press com conference uh, in October last year to announce a project that would be a birthing center and an education center primarily aimed at black women in Trenton. There is no place to give birth right now in Trenton City. Um, so this clearly filled a need and seemed to check all kinds of boxes. Oddly enough, the to me, I thought uh, the First Lady wasn't at the event, and I'd been told that she sort of stayed silent on this. Um, when I asked her about it, she said it is very much, you know, she said in an email response that it is very much part of what they're trying to do. She commends it. She sees it part of the solution. So I think there's a little bit of wait and see still from some of the leaders on the doing the work on the ground as to what that support looks like long term, right? Okay, um, very quickly. Not just lip service. Yeah, very quickly. There was a flashpoint this weekend over an ad the state began airing. What was it and what was the contention there? 
Right. So the, the question was the states invested some money in ads for maternal health improvements that feature the First Lady's voice. Uh, there were questions raised about this. I was told right away by the governor's office Saturday morning that they did not, um, that the ads predate her announcement and that they pulled them out of an abundance of caution and will be using other voices. So stay tuned on that as well. Because state money being used for an ad where she's featured two days after in the, announcing in a Senate, the campaign. In a political campaign. Got yes, it. Thank you. Lilo Stanton, thank you as always. Thank you. Great. In our Spotlight on Business report, stocks edged up slightly to start Wall Street's short holiday week. Now the focus turns to whether the Federal Reserve is finally done raising interest rates. Here's today's closing trading numbers. And finally, today marks Transgender Day of Remembrance, which honors members of the LGBTQ plus community who've lost their lives to violence and hate. The tradition began in 1999 as a way to pay homage to Rita Hester, a transgender black woman brutally killed in her Boston home just a year prior. Well, since then, advocates and allies across the world hold vigils to commemorate Hester and other individuals who've suffered because of their gender identity. Data from the Human Rights Campaign shows at least 14 trans people have been murdered in the U.S. in 2023. In Asbury Park tonight, the Blackbird Community Center on Atkins Avenue is hosting an event open to the public. Organizers say it's important to highlight given the current climate, pointing to a pervasive lack of acceptance. The vigil will honor memories of those lost while also encouraging people to help be part of the solution. And that does it for us tonight. But don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi. For the entire NJ Spotlight News team, thanks for being with us. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. And RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. NJM Insurance Group has been part of New Jersey for over a century. We support our communities through NJM's corporate giving program, supporting arts and culture related and nonprofit organizations that serve to improve the lives of children, rebuild communities, and help to create a new generation of safe drivers. We're proud to be part of New Jersey. NJM, we've got New Jersey covered.